Well, we do want the ladies to go to that rally, especially since I've been invited to drive the van. Actually, it was none of the ladies that invited me to drive the van. They were probably wondering. But Daryl Ballou, pastoring in Fayette, he said, if you'll drive the ladies from your church there, we'll have a cup of coffee. So so I, we want the van full of ladies, except, except for me. And uh, so we want to make a... We just want to be there because this is important missional uh, occasion that the ladies do a lot for our missionaries, and this is their fundraiser. And, uh, you know, from the very start of the Simmons of God in 1914, missions, missions is one of the high values. They wanted to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. It was part of their structure. When they met in Little Rock, uh, about 300 delegates formed the Simmons of God in 1914. So... The men do things in missions. You know, the youth do speed the light. The ladies are involved in missions. Boys and girls, every just just every place that we have any kind of activity, we're looking to the fields that are white unto harvest. So um, I'm I'm looking forward to that time, even though I'm gonna be outnumbered really seriously, but that's okay. Um, and Juanita, it's good to see you right here on the second row. Look out. Martha dragged you up here. <laughs> it's good to have you. Thanks for being here. Um, I want, what else am I supposed to announce? Help me out, Brenda. I can't read lips. Baby. Somebody's got a baby? Huh? Okay, the Griggs' baby's here? Where? Come on, Stan. Where's the new baby at? Is the baby in the nursery? She's eating. Okay, that's all right. <laughs> totally okay. We don't need to see the baby. Well, that makes for a Palm Sunday, doesn't it? I, I shouldn't have went that far with that. How, how do we recover from that? <laughs> oh, me. Well, turning your Bibles down. <laughs> and that's not a joke either. We're going to the Bible. Matthew 21. So turn there real quick before we lose everything. Palm Sunday. Boy, I didn't know I was going to have this kind of excitement, but it's pretty good. Uh, you know, I, th I thought about a title for this message, and uh, I put down Palm Sunday. Boy, that's creative, isn't it? <laughs> but I had a second title that I, I bounced around my mind. It wasn't, I didn't want to make it sound sacrilegious or anything, but Game Day. I wanted to title it Game Day. So I titled it both, Palm Sunday, Game Day. And why is that? Well, we'll get to that in just a moment. But every, not everybody likes home football games in this city. How many do not like game day in Tuscaloosa? You do not like game. See, there's a significant bunch of people. And the one biggest complaint is traffic. Traffic. Al Baker was over at Chi Alpha when we came here, and he told me in no uncertain terms, I loathe game day. I hate 
traffic. And so he stayed home. I said, so why do you hate something that you're not dealing with? Right? I got, I got a help for you that are bothered by traffic. Relax. <laughs> Just relax, because you might not know this, that the car in front of you does not respond to your mental thoughts or your verbal thoughts. So you're burning up a lot of energy for zero effect. So just chill out. It's okay. You move when they move. Huh? That's deep, isn't it? I learned that on Highway 280 on Friday evenings. Every time I went to be with my mom, take care of her, that's where I got sanctified in driving. <laughs> Because I realized, like, I'm burning up all this energy, and it's not making any of those in front of me move any faster. And I said, well, just, just leave a little earlier and just chill out. It worked. It just chills. I'm, I'm trying to help some of you that are here today. The reason why this kind of is a connection to Palm Sunday is because we really read this, and when we read from Matthew 21, the aesthetics around this is hard for us to comprehend. And I'll try to help you with this. Because the population, if you look up, you can, you can Google anything, right? The population of Jerusalem in Jesus' day was, somebody take a wild guess before you Google it. Average residence in Jerusalem, Jesus' day, without the holidays. Go for it. How many? 4,000? More than that. It's much more than that. It was a pretty good size. In fact, it was very populated for its size geographically. It was about 40,000. It's about 40,000. That's the capital of Israel. So it was the main city. It's where the temple was, and, that's, and there was a lot of people, and they could not possibly get all those people inside the walled part of the city. But when festivals took place, it swelled to 250,000 people. Now, if you think game day here is really a challenge, just think about a half a million people on the same kind of six times the number of people that live are, are Tuscaloosa's resident right now total about a half a million people to come in here instead of a, a hundred thousand, four hundred thousand beyond that, come into this city and stay for a few days. This is what was going on when we were about to read this. And these five days leading up to where Jesus was had the Last Supper and then he was arrested that night. And, uh, and we're starting with the Sabbath, the last Sabbath that Jesus celebrated before his crucifixion, the Saturday before the Sunday, which is Palm Sunday. That Saturday, he spent at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house for a big dinner that they had for him. But if you're reading in John 11 and 12, the latter part of John 11, Jesus was preparing himself for this, and how he prepared himself is that he and the disciples went off into a desert place because the attention being drawn to him was significant. And he, he didn't want to deal with it right then. 
So they headed off to a, a small village in the desert place, and then they decided as they got closer to the Passover that he would come and arrive at Bethany at their house for a special meal. And at that meal, the day before Palm Sunday, there was an anointing of him for his burial by Mary. Mary poured out, we had this in the Sunday class, very expensive bottle of perfume according to uh, someone who knew the math and knew the prices of things. It was equivalent to a one year's wages. That's how expensive that bottle of perfume was. And she poured it out on his feet. And she leaned over and with her hair, she wiped the Savior's feet. And we know that Judas was the one who objected that way, saying this could have been sold and given to the poor. And, uh, but everybody knows that he didn't really care about the poor. He had the money bag, so there was probably going to be a little kickback for him. But when they got through with that meal on Saturday, and we start with Matthew chapter 21, and they move from her house, from that house, going down the Mount of Olives, he stops, and this is where we're going to pick it up in Matthew 21, verse 1. And as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples. He said to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there. And you ought to appreciate that I'm not reading this out of the King James. All right? Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there and her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey on a colt, the fold of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. Remember, this is not, they didn't go into the city. They went into a little village, probably out of the way to avoid all of this traffic. So they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. And remember, he's describing this. And we have to think in terms of a mass of people there crowding the roads a large crowd, and they spread their uh, cloaks on the road and cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Think, think in terms of 250,000 people, not 40,000 people, that the entire city was on a buzz about this. And they asked, who is this? And the crowd answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, I can see that the prophetic element in Christ was always there, but it is really upon him because he's telling these two disciples, go down to that village and you'll see a, colt tie, a donkey tied there and the fold of of that donkey and you untie them and if somebody asks you what are you doing he just says the Lord needs them and to me that was not pre-planned he was getting all of this prophetically 
He was getting all of this from the Father. He even said, I don't do anything. I don't say anything. I don't make a move without my Father telling me this is what's going on. So he's, he's, he could have discerned it, but he's getting all of this, and he's telling them, you just go there. It's kind of like when he was looking for a place for the Passover meal, right? You'll see a man carrying a jar of water, follow him, and whatever house he enters into, you go in there and you ask the owner of the house, hey, uh, we need this house for a Passover meal, and he'll take you upstairs to a large room, and it's already prepared. Do you think that he sent that notice ahead of time, or he was just prophetic? He's, the prophetic element is all over him during this because it's getting closer and closer to what he's really here for. And this is why he sent those two disciples into a village. And they went and they found exactly those two animals. And this was the fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9. And this is, verse 9 is, is what's quoted. But I want you to hear what verse 10 and the, and the juxtapose of what? Jesus riding in on a donkey instead of riding in on a horse. What this was saying. This is Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the fold of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim. And listen as the comparison could have been. It's not a chariot and it's not a horse. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem and the bow of war will be cut off. He will speak peace to the nations and his dominion will be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. If he came riding in on a horse, it would have conveyed the opposite message of what he was about. Not only was he fulfilling prophecy on probably sitting, I, I don't think he... It would have been something as he could have rode both of them at the same time. But more than likely, he was on the fold to add to the idea that this animal never had a human being sitting on him. If you know anything about animals, they don't like that. And so the whole prophetic thing was that he was sitting on an animal, fulfilling prophecy, but on an animal that should have been wanting to buck him off. And he didn't come in on a horse because... That would have been royalty. That would have been like, in fact, I think the people would have loved it if he came in on a horse. Yeah, we're taking over. It's about time we took over. But they were caught up because this was a prophetic moment. I don't know if they really knew that this was a fulfillment of Scripture, but here they are, and, and the excitement starts spreading like fire. And there was this was a crowded road, a crowded street, as he was entering in. And I'm not sure what the disciples were thinking about all of this, but they had to have gotten caught up in the moment as well. The roads were jammed with people. It was like, and they started taking off their coats. I don't know about you. I wouldn't throw my coat out in front of a donkey. But you see, do you see how the excitement was just building? People were getting caught up. The crowd was just electric. And they, some of them started just peeling branches off of trees and waving. I don't think any of them came there prepared. You know, this is going to be a real special day. This is going to be in the Bible one day. And we need some palm branches. We need to wave them because, no, it was just like this spontaneous, organic thing that was happening. And they were 
declaring who he was by waving these palm branches. He is coming to save us. It was prophetic. Hosanna is of Hebrew origin. Hosanna. It means it has the idea of saving, but also has the idea of pleading to be saved. Save us, O Lord. This is really what Hosanna was saying, was meaning. This is Hebrew. Save us, O Lord. The combination of those two words. And then it says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. It's heavens in, in a uh, S, but it has the idea in the greatest proportion of ability, of, of influence. Save us to the greatest heights. In the greater reaches that people would know the timing that the Lord is at hand. Your king is here. Israel's king is here. This is the son of David. He is here. And this is the day of salvation. Salvation is realized. This is all about Jesus being the Savior of the world. The crowds went ahead of him. Those that followed him shouted. This was a crowded city captured by Jesus for this moment. And it's alluded to in verse 10 where it says the whole city was affected. They were stirred. All 250,000 plus probably more than 250,000. And then they started asking, can you imagine the people who are just kind of like, and you think about the, the, the three festivals that every Jewish man had to attend, right? This one, the Passover. And then the Feast of Weeks was seven weeks later, Pentecost. Anybody want to throw out what was the third one? Sukkoth, the Tabernacles. But these two feasts were like seven weeks apart. So people who traveled from North Africa into what is now Turkey and beyond, they didn't turn around and go home after Passover. They stayed. The vast majority of the pilgrims said, that's why when you have Pentecost and you had all these people speaking in languages they didn't know, but there was like 15 languages out there that were known because these people came from all over the place and they said, hey, they're speaking in our dialect. Why were they there? Because they were there because these two was too close for them to go back home and turn around and come back. And so that's, this is why this massive crowd was there. And some of them didn't even know who he was. So you see them saying, who is this? What is this about? Who is that? And they said, this is Jesus. How did they identify him? This is Jesus, the prophet, the prophet from Nazareth. That's all the most of this crowd knew. So, you know, it, I used to think that Jesus being rested at night under the cover of darkness, that all of these people just days before waving palm branches and throwing their coats out in front of a donkey in its foal and shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the son of David, that all of them that were saying that, that they didn't turn around in a few days and were yelling, crucify him, or did they? Makes for a, a troubling thought, Right? that in five days they went from acclaiming him as the son of David to yelling for his death. For me, I've, I've thought, well, I think that was probably two different crowds. 
because he was rested at night. Nobody knew about that was going on. The next, the next morning when he was in front of Pilate, there had to be people saying, what? What's going on? What happened? He's, he's about to be executed. Just five days earlier, he, he was coming into the city, and the city was abuzz with him. I think maybe people can change that quick. Especially if they just think of him as a prophet from Nazareth and not really the truly the son of David. That very much well could have been that the people that were yelling crucify him, give us Barabbas instead of him. We want a cutthroat killer to be given to us. And this guy, you know, the interesting thing is I didn't read that part where he went in and cleaned the temple, right? I'm going to pick this back up in verse 15. But he didn't, we, I'm not reading that, but after he had all of that take place, if you look at verse 15, it says, when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant. And they said unto him, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said, yes, you have heard it read. Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise for yourself. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. Right before that, in verse 14, it says that the lame and blind people came to Jesus on the temple grounds that he had just cleansed and were healed. How about that? A healing service broke out right there on the Temple Mount. Blind people, lame people are getting healed. And, it, and the way this pendulum swung is amazing, is it not? That he came in with this fanfare of people shouting and, and, and praising God and saying, this is the day of salvation, this is the day of the son of David's arrival. Blind people, lame people are getting healed. And here comes... Here comes that bunch, the chief priests and scribes. They saw all the wonderful things that Jesus had done, and they just could not let go of their prejudice. They became indignant. I don't know what your translation said. This is the NAS. I think the word means annoyed, <laughs> irritated. This was where they lived pretty much. They they was just really not a very happy bunch of people. They couldn't be happy about blind people and lame people getting healed. They couldn't be happy about people having excitement about the son of David, about the prospects of the coming kingdom of God. They just couldn't move off of where they were at. But verse 17, I just like this. He left them. I'm going. It's kind of like when it gets 9 o'clock and I'm somewhere, I'm gone. Sorry. I'm not eating on the strip after 9 o'clock at night. I don't even want to eat on the strip after 8 o'clock at night. I won't go home. So I'm officially old. I have no desire to be out after 9 o'clock at night. No desire whatsoever. But it's just like Jesus, <laughs> okay, I'm done here. I'm gone. He left and went out of the city of Bethany and spent the night there. But what a day. What a day that 24 hours must have been. Think about that. 
prophet. It, it, couldn't, it couldn't have gone any better, especially, you know, the reason why Bethany was all overwhelmed with people is that the Jews, the Jews showed up to see Jesus, but they showed up to see somebody else, right? Lazarus was like a rock star. They came, it, it, the Bible says that they just didn't come to see Jesus. They came to see Lazarus. A man that was dead for four days. Dead for four days. Someone who has been deceased for three or four hours that gets raised from the dead, that's a miracle. And maybe a day later, I remember reports of Smith Wigglesworth going into a funeral home and dragging out a body out of a casket, holding it up against the wall and commanding the spirit to come back in, and it happened. Now, some of you probably don't believe that, but it happened. That's, you know, the reason why, I, I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it. The reason why probably some of those things don't happen anymore is because somebody gets a book deal, and they go on a, a, a tour of all the networks, and everybody wants their autograph. That's why, like, when I went to PTL Club one time and they had a little break in the setting and all these people ran out of the, the sitting that, where the audience was getting Jim and Tammy Bay, Baker. I, wanted, I almost said what my brother-in-law said. Tammy, <laughs> Tammy Bay Faker is what he... No, I, I didn't even mean to say that. Um, but <laughs> that's, that's Terry Bailey's influence on me. I, I had to pause and say it right. But they were up there getting autographs and I looked at Brenda and I said, what is this? What is this? When did people used of God become celebrities that people want their autograph? The only autograph you need is the sign of Jesus on your heart. And this is why the people were there in Bethany. They wanted to see Lazarus of men dead for four days. They wanted to see Jesus, but they wanted to see Lazarus. And part of this whole buildup was around the things that Jesus had already done. And on that day, on Palm Sunday, he did even more. Heal the blind and heal the lame. But I want you to notice one thing as, as I get here to the closing. Isn't it interesting that these guys who really complained about people going overboard were really, were really kind of like upset at the children the children, you don't see what these children are doing. You need to stop these children. And that's what they pointed out. It says, do you not hear? That's what it says in verse 16. Do you not hear what the children are saying? How dare you let them keep saying stuff like that? You know, the reason why children just say things like that is because they don't have a filter. And that's why you got to be careful your conversations at home because... <laughs> Because they will tell somebody what you said to your spouse. Because my brother's little girl, Stephanie, went to her classroom one day at, in Childersburg. And at prayer request time, she says, y'all pray for my mama. And she says, is your mama sick? She says, nope. But she says, my daddy is driving her crazy. See, children are going to tell the truth. <laughs> so 
if you don't want them repeating what you're saying, you need to get in a different room. And some of them have telescopic hearing. I don't even know if that's the right description, but they can hear you. And this is what was bothering them. This was bothering the people in charge. Do you not hear what the children are saying? And Jesus said, that's fulfillment of prophecy. <laughs> they probably got tired of him quoting scripture to them, but that's what he did every time they questioned him. He said, have you not read? These children are saying what the prophets have said, that out of the mouth of children and nursing infants, he has prepared praise for yourself, himself. What do you need to trust the Lord for today? What is it going on in your life you really need to trust the Lord for? Whether it's a physical need or a decision you're facing or something that's a, a huge disappointment that's come to your way recently. What do you need to move out of your adult filter to your children's unfiltered mindset? And say, if I really could say to him directly, this is what I would honestly say to him. Lord, I need your help too. If the praise team can come back up. Lord, I need, I'm facing a decision. I'm sure when people move to another location, they've sought the Lord. And, you know, this, the way God works is really way beyond us, isn't it? We thought our son was maybe shouldn't be joining the military two years after 9-11. You know, it's not a good time to join the military, and yet we see, looking back, the hand of God that was in that. But you might be facing some decisions in your life, facing some things that are very personal to you. Maybe... There's just been some guilt that just wouldn't let go no matter how much you've prayed and ask God to forgive you and to move forward. It just seems like it lingers. It's holding on to you. Said in our uh, office as we prepared to pray before the service, we need to be careful that we don't use our performance as a co-savior along with Jesus that when we're doing really good that that kind of adds to our credibility of salvation we don't save ourselves and we don't fix ourselves we, we'll try we'll, we'll try to move on but it really works when you lean on him when you lean on the Lord would you stand with me I want to pray here in just a moment. But if you're battling doubts, would you just consider, instead of throwing a coat in front of Jesus entering in to your struggle, that you surrender your doubts, that you throw that. You surrender your excuses. You surrender your pain, your disappointments, that you need a restoration of trust that has been broken. 
Jesus, you are Lord. You're the master, always has been. And you're here in this place. You're here in this building. And you know where we're at. Maybe this has been the crowning point of a good week. We give you praise for that. But there's some that this has been a tough week. That's in this room right now. It's not been easy to face some of the things they faced and to maybe handle the things that disappointed them, their own decisions. You are Lord. We lay those things at your feet. And we truly turn to you and say, help me. Help me, Jesus. Here's my life. I don't want to live under this heaviness anymore. I want to be free. I need to be free. I need to be healed, Lord. I need my soul needs to be healed. My emotions need to be healed. You came into a city with great fanfare and victory. And you healed the blind. You healed the lame. There's no reason why you would not heal those who come and surrender their own maladies, physical, mental, emotional. Heal me, Jesus. If that is your prayer, I want you to just come and stand across the front here. We're going to ask God for a time of healing in your life and restoration, not just healing from the pain, but hope that he would restore hope and and this expectancy that you want to have of what is God going to do next in my life to move me forward. Lord, we know that one day every tongue will confess that you are Lord and it won't be by choice. It'll be by requirement. But today, may we do it by choice to say you are Lord over my life. You're Lord over my family. You're Lord over my marriage. You're Lord over my workplace. You're Lord over my health. I bring it all to you. And let's believe God. Let's believe God to touch you. Come on. Praise God.